0: As a church family, we are uh, we are wrestling down this very important question of of is failure fatal? And so far, we spent three weeks tackling this question, and we've looked at three individuals from the Bible, three great individuals who botched big time in their lives. One committed adultery, another one lost his courage and took his eye off the Lord, and another one quit on his team, and worse than that, he actually quit on God's mission. But what I hope you have seen through this series is that uh, none of their failures were fatal, and their examples do indeed remind us that God is a God of redemption, and, and God is the God who loves a good comeback story. And I know this room is full of comeback stories. I will tell you this that the three examples that we have looked at so far in this series, they all share something in common. And it's this they were all serving the Lord when they botched. And what I mean by that more specifically is that David and Elijah and John Mark were all quote unquote believers. They had answered God's call, they were trying to live their lives the way the Lord wanted them to do, and they messed up, they botched, they needed repentance and forgiveness in their life, and that means something so significant to us today, that just like David and Elijah and John Mark, their botches happen as followers of Jesus, and, and, and so much of our botches do too. But God's grace and his redemption and his mercy is there for us. And I bring that up too because I try to remind you that David, and Elijah and John Mark and others in the Bible, they're humans just like we are. They're not perfect and sometimes we read the Bible, we think that of these people like they're some kind of super believer, they never messed up. They're like the Avengers of the Bible and they're not. They're just like us and, and studying about their failure and their redemption, their comeback story should energize us as well. Now the individual we're gonna study today though, however, it's got a little different story, a little different than what's going on with Elijah, John, Mark, and David, because his huge botches, they all happened before he was a follower of Jesus. So much of the ugly and horrible sins that he was involved with was before his conversion but when he met Jesus everything changed for him which is just like us today when we meet Jesus and when we met Jesus everything changed in our lives because why because when you believe that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again that all of those sins that we had committed they can be washed away they can be forgiven and that is a powerful discovery that when we realize that Jesus paid it all on the cross that he bore the punishment that we deserved The Bible speaks of that uh, in our lives as you have now been washed clean. You are whiter than snow, no longer stained by sin. How awesome is that? So if that's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then why are we going to talk about somebody who botched big time before they became a Christian? And that's a good question because doesn't that make it kind of a a mute point? What does it matter what they did once their sins are washed away? And you are correct. But here's why this is important. And this is why this individual story is part of our botched series. It's because every last one of us has this innate ability at times in our lives to allow the sins of our past. I'm talking about all that pre-Christian, pre-saved, time of our lives we have this ability at times to allow that stuff to still wreak havoc in our present walk with Jesus and I've been a minister for a long time now and I know how the church thinks I know how what a lot of people wrestle with and I know this to be true And there are no two Christians that are exactly alike when it comes to this. Some, this whole idea can be and affect their lives drastically, others just a little bit, or none at all. And if you're part of the none at all group, praise God. However, I know there are many believers today who still wrestle down and have to work through the way they were before they met Jesus and they wrestle with it on two levels. One, there's an intellectual level. And the intellectual level is the "the Bible tells me so level. I know the Bible tells me I'm forgiven. I know that the Bible tells me that I am saved and God loves me. Then there's an emotional component with our lives where we can, at times struggle with this concept and confidence that God still loves me, that I haven't messed up so severely that God is not turning his back on me. Especially when those sins from our past and our former way of life still is bearing consequences in our present life and still is bearing some pain and suffering on the people that we love. So yeah, this is something that we can certainly struggle with for sure. Now, there's one individual in the Bible who knew this reality I think better than anybody else. And if you're sitting there going, I think that's the Apostle Paul, then you are absolutely correct. We learned a little bit about Paul last week in the sermon when when he was on his first missionary journey and he was traveling with Barnabas and John Mark. And that sermon was more about John Mark, but this is the same Paul that we're talking about. But let me tell you, long before Paul, the great missionary, long before Paul, the great evangelist, the, long before the great church planter that we know as Paul, he went by the name Saul, and he was ruthless towards Christians. That's right, before he met Jesus, he tried to destroy what he would later come to love, and that is the bride of Christ, that is the church. Paul refers to his past, he refers to himself as the worst of sinners. And self-admittedly, as you read the writings of Paul in the New Testament, he discusses with great amazement that God is even using his life, that God would have any use for him at all because of what he had done in his past. And just here as we get going in this, I just want you to know that Paul's life really does serve as a tremendous testimony that our, our, our past, that our past is, is part of our story that God can use to bring him glory and others to a saving relationship. Paul is the premier example that God can take something that was so bad and use it for something so good. We first meet uh, Paul, also known as Saul. I just want you to know, if I say Paul and if I say Saul, I'm talking about the same guy. Think of it like this. Saul is what he was called before he met Jesus. Paul is what he was called after um, he followed Jesus. So uh, I look at it like this. So Paul or Saul, forgive me, it's the same dude. But we first meet him in Acts chapter 7. And we meet him on the same day that a guy named Stephen dies. Stephen was a Christian. And we read about Stephen early in the church's existence. He was a great man of God. And he was the very first Christian to be martyred for his faith. So the day he's martyred is the day that we meet Saul. And it says in Acts chapter seven, verse 57, here's how Stephen died. They all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. That just means a big mob of people picked up rocks and they beat him with rocks till he died. Horrible way to die. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now what this clearly communicates is that Saul was right there in the thick of it. He was the one that gave his approval or he was the one they sought approval from to go ahead and finish Stephen off. So Saul was somebody who had already risen up to some level of leadership. He was in charge or was influential at least in the persecution of the church in these early days. And if you look at the very next chapter, chapter eight, verse one, it says Saul approved of the killing of him. That was Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And what you need to understand from this early days of Saul's life, he was one bad dude. And I don't mean that in a good way. He was a bad guy. And when he killed Stephen, the church scattered. They were afraid of Saul. They, they ran away, and they fled from Jerusalem. But that did not even deter Saul at all. If you go forward one chapter in Acts chapter nine, this is what happened next. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is a reference to the church, Whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners true to Jerusalem. So just how bad was Saul's activity during this time? Well, let me tell you just how bad. Years later, long after he becomes a Christian, he is sharing his testimony. In fact, he will share it numerous times about this season of his life. And he says this in Acts chapter 22, verse four. He said, referring to when he was a persecutor, he said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. There was another time Paul was standing before King Agrippa and he tells King Agrippa his story. And in Acts chapter 26, verse nine, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Do you understand, it wasn't just that he was an affirmative voice in the death of Stephen. No, 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 it was, was much more than that. He pursued these Christians. He persecuted them to their death. This is a man who has blood all over his hands. Christians died because of the direct result of Saul's persecution of them. And that all changed in one singular day when he met Jesus On a road to a town called Damascus to persecute Christians. Acts chapter 9 verse 3 tells us about that moment. As Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he, he was, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And that is the day right there when everything started to change For Saul in his life. Now, I would encourage you. You just keep reading on your own, and you're going to learn all about the details of how Saul came to believe in Jesus and be baptized. You're gonna learn about all the special people that God brought into Saul's life in those early days and the earliest parts of his Christian life. You're gonna learn all about how, even though it took the church some time to accept that Saul was a genuine Christian, they eventually did, and they welcomed him into the body of Christ. I'm telling you, it is simply one of the most amazing stories that I wanna encourage you to dig deep into of life change and redemption how he went from being a persecutor of Christians to becoming one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. But here's a question that I have for us as a church family today. And the question is this. When Paul looked back on his life, did he ever regret his behavior before meeting Jesus? As he looked backwards, did he ever regret his behavior before he met Jesus? I mean, how could he not, right? How could he not? I mean, I, I mean he was a, a real-life person with real emotions, and, and he was a man who was changed by Jesus. But how could he not have remorse and regret and have to weigh through a great number of things as he moved forward? Did, did, did Paul ever struggle moving forward in his Christian life knowing that he had hurt so many people? Now, the Bible doesn't specifically answer that specific question. But as I read the rest of the New Testament, I read everything that Paul ever wrote, which he authored a good part of the New Testament. I hope you know that. As you read all of it, it seems like he was very aware of how his actions had hurt people and how it impacted their family. Now, I have no way of knowing this, but I wonder... I wonder this about Paul, that after he became a Christian, again, I'm speculating here. I I, I try to be very clear with you when I'm doing the thus saith the Lord parts of the Bible, they're non-negotiable, versus what I think in my opinion. This is my opinion. This is what I think, okay? But I've speculated, as Paul would travel, you know, he came back to Jerusalem a number of times, and he interacted with the church, and he worshiped with them, and he taught them, and, and I wonder if at any time he encountered families maybe at a prayer time or a worship service or or a number of things that the Christians did in their communities, I wonder if he ever encountered a family that had been torn apart because at one point he had chased them down, broke up their family, and killed some of their family members. Do you ever think about it? I mean, I think it was likely that it happened. Can you imagine the day that this could have happened, that, that Paul is, in, is, is gathering with some Christians, and he's in somebody's living room, and then in walks Stephen's children, or Stephen's mom and dad. Hypothetically, why well, couldn't have this happen? And there he's looking across the room, and he sees lives that he absolutely destroyed back in the day. How could that not have been hard on him? How how could that not have been a struggle for him knowing he had caused so much damage for people? Seems pretty clear from the New Testament that there were times that Paul wrestled with feelings of being qualified and worthy for the ministry because of the things that he had done before he met Jesus. And I think it has a lot to do with circumstances hypothetically, like I'm describing here. Like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but how could it not have happened? And admittedly, I am reading between the lines. I'm drawing some conclusions, but here's what I think about Paul. I think that his past, before he was a Christian, weighed on him so heavily at times, even though him, better than anyone else, was keenly aware that he had been saved by God's grace through his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter three, he brings up his past In his writings, and he's talking about his upbringing and his education and his connections, and he brings up his past persecution activities. And he says this in chapter three, verse thirteen. He says, "But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead." This is a statement made by somebody who had a lot of things that he wanted to forget. He goes, "The one thing I've got to do is I got to forget the past, and I got to strain towards what is ahead." He goes, "I press on." Toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So yes, if you want to know what I think, I think Paul had to wade through his past and figure out how he's going to move forward and have a great future in Christ Jesus. And I know right now in our church family, there are many people wading through that very thing as well. At times it can feel heavy, the things that we have done in the past. And it can cause these burdens to be continued uh, ongoing in our lives and these burdens that quite honestly, the Lord never intended for his church family to carry because he already carried that very burden all the way with him to Calvary and he paid for it on the cross. So he never intended for us to carry that today. But man, intellectually, we know that's true. Emotionally, that can be more challenging Than what we might care to admit, especially when we're still living in the the wake of some of those decisions. So, how does one not allow the sins of the past to hinder them from an amazing Christian life today? How do you do that? Well, no surprise here, but Paul actually does answer that very question. So if you got your Bible, please open to 1 Timothy chapter one. We're gonna be spending a few moments there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you or you can look at the screen behind me. 1 Timothy chapter one, he will answer that question and he does multiple times in the New Testament. How do you move forward in this incredible life with Jesus without having your past so um, heavy a burden to carry? I'm gonna share a passage of scripture with you that I think will be great encouragement to you today as a Christian. And it starts in verse 12 of chapter one of the book of 1 Timothy. This is Paul, okay? He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance And unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for, the, example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that encouraging? And I wonder how many of you might be in this very room today because the Lord either needed you to know that or He needed you to be reminded of that. The very first thing that that Paul says in our text is very revealing. And, And this is a key truth that every single Christian in our church family needs to own every day of your life. And it is this Jesus is the source. That comes out very clearly in what he's writing here about how does somebody move on without the the weight of the past on them? He said, Jesus is the source. Do you remember, you see what, you can look at the text as I walk down through this. Paul thanked Jesus what? He said, he has given me strength. He had done it. Paul didn't have the, he did it. He has considered me trustworthy. He appointed me into the service for him. Friends, if it wasn't for Jesus, all of this that we're talking about today would be a moot point. We'd still be dead in our sins. we completely lost. So Paul is simply highlighting this reality that Jesus is the source. He is the power behind our ability to live this amazing Christian life today regardless of how we used to live our lives back in the day. Now Paul didn't say these exact words but collectively, when you look at all of his writings in the New Testament, he knew this, that without Jesus, he would be nothing. He knew that. So Jesus is the source, and this is true for him. It's true for us. Jesus, we don't have the ability to, to do what Jesus can do. He's the source. And the second truth that's just so clear in what Paul is writing is this. We need to own this and know this every day. It is Jesus who is the game changer. We're not the game changer. It's Jesus who is the game changer. Paul admits what in this text? He goes, I was a blasphemer. Do you know what he means by that? By being a blasphemer, he was a denier of the deity of Jesus. And not only that, he forced people to be blasphemers as well. He did everything he could to deny the deity of Jesus. And he also said, I was a persecutor. I persecuted the church. In other words, he used his position of leadership and his power physically to destroy the work of God. He was a blasphemer and he was a persecutor and he admits that he was a violent man. And that people lost their lives because of him. Yet, even with all of that in his life, he admits, I was shown great mercy. So, this is Paul. He is putting in writing what I believe are his thoughts and the process he had to go through to wrestle through his past to make peace so that he can move forward and walk with Jesus and live in harmony with these other Christians. There was absolutely no changing what he had done. He knows that. He cannot rewind the clock and not be a persecutor of the church and not be somebody that put people to death and not be a blasphemer. Just like you and I today, we cannot rewind the clock of our lives and change things no matter how desperately we'd like for that to be true. There is no such thing as a silver DeLorean that has a flex capacitor that can take us back in time. If there was... There's not a one of us in this room that would not have taken that journey. But what we do have is better than that. We have God's mercy. And that's the game changer. It's not our mercy, it's not because we're good, it's because he is, and he has given us mercy. So a key understanding for Paul, and I believe for anybody that's wading through a messy past, is this, it's a realization that certain behaviors from back in the day were the direct result of ignorance and unbelief. Okay, that the things that happened before we met Jesus were done in ignorance and unbelief. That is exactly what Paul is admitting and the awareness that he came to and the awareness that we as Christians need to as well. He says it right there in verse 13. I was shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And let me tell you something, Paul was a brilliant man. He was a well-educated man. His achievements are listed all throughout the pages of the New Testament. Yet he did not know Christ. And he was acting out without the spirit of God or his guidance in his life. And because he did not have the spirit of God, he was not a believer, then his actions were a result of ignorance and unbelief. I'm going to show you a verse that may be brand new to you, but it might just change the way you understand and see things. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and this might just be an eye-opener for you. And it just says this, the person without the Spirit, in other words, an unsaved person. Saved people have the Spirit of God in them. Unsaved people do not. So, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them Foolish. Foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now think about this. Before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he considered what these Christians believed as complete foolishness. In his ignorance and in his unbelief, he concluded falsely, I might say, that uh, these are people that are a threat, and they need to be stopped. He came to that conclusion because he was an unsaved, ignorant person who did not have the spirit of Christ in his heart. And so his actions followed that ignorance, that unbelief. Friends, we've been given great mercy too because we used to be ignorant of the truth. Every last one of us at some point was ignorant, just like, like Paul. The things we did before we met Christ, regardless of how heinous or dark that they may be, that does not stop the Lord's mercy, nor should they be chains connected to our eyes that are now open, life with Jesus. Do you remember the words of Jesus on the cross? He's hanging there, a sinless person, and he says, Father, forgive them, Do you remember Luke 23, verse 34? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They're acting in unbelief and ignorance. It's not the spirit of God, it's ignorance and unbelief. And Paul said, I was an ignorant unbeliever and that's why I was given mercy. You know, I'll tell you, it's really easy. I do get very frustrated when I see the direction that so many people are choosing in our world today. we gotta remember, the person without the Spirit of God in their life is going to see the things of God as foolishness. And I wonder, how are we gonna change the trajectory of our world? Because there's so many things in our world, as like, they're just heading the wrong direction. They're moving away from the Lord. What is the path that's actually gonna turn this thing around? And I, I wanna tell you what I think I don't think the answer is gonna be found in picket lines and ballot boxes. Although I value each of those things. As an American citizen, I value those rights and I will fight for them. But the greatest good and the lasting impact that's gonna be made in our families or in our communities or even our nation and our world is going to be through the disciple-making efforts of Christians. It's gonna come through the church. Go and make disciples. Those are the last words of Jesus. It's known as the Great Commission. We've been given our marching orders. The marches we do is into a lost territory to win people to Jesus. You want to change the world? Make more disciples. Be the best Christian you know how to be. You know, unless you've been um, living, unless you've been living off the grid the last couple of weeks, you know that our nation is in an uproar right now. And there's no doubt you're aware of the potential Supreme Court decision that everybody's waiting on pins and needles to hear about Roe v. Wade. And I'm not going to mince my words with you today at all when I say this, that I have no idea, I absolutely have no idea, how anyone can claim to be a follower of Jesus and support abortion. I, I don't know, I can't see it. From my point of view, they're two completely contradictory positions that will never mesh. And our land is full of protest over this right now. There's so much noise being made. What are we seeing? I want, I want, you, I want to encourage you as a church family to see everything through biblical lenses, to, to not see the world so much through I think, but what does the Bible say? And, and what does the Bible teach us? What are we actually seeing here? What we are seeing is a world full of people who have no idea what they're doing as it relates to their creator in heaven. Why does it feel so anti-Christian? Why does it feel so anti-God and wrong? It's because we are living in a world full of ignorant people. They are ignorant of the ways of the Lord because the spirit of God is not present in their lives. And it shows Christians say things like this, the moral compass is broken. Can I tell you what they really mean when they say that? What they are really highlighting is that there is so much evidence in the world that the majority of the people in our country are living without the Spirit of God in their lives, and it shows. So sadly, changing laws will not change people's hearts because Jesus is the game changer, not us, not laws, not the ballot boxes. It's just making more disciples. Changing people's lives for Jesus is what changes the trajectory of our families, communities, and our world. And only the Lord can do that. So the greatest work that the church can be involved with is the making disciple work, the great commission. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, that is going to be the primary focus of the New Life Christian Church family. We're going to be disciple-making, evangelistic church, because that is what makes a difference in this world. Nothing else so the world is filled with people today that are no different than paul was no different than how we used to be ignorant until we meet jesus and we are receive this great mercy so paul rightly discerned his ignorance as he processed moving forward with jesus and you and i must do the exact same thing We must rightly discern and make peace with our past ignorance and then move forward with Jesus. Paul's words, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We are a church that believes wholeheartedly that God cares more about where you are going than where you have been. And Paul was able to do that for the same reasons that you and I can do that again today. Now look at verse 14. i want to look at this passage again. He could do that because, verse 14, the grace of our, the Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So, not to sound redundant, but the greatest thing that ever happened to any of us happened on the day that we met Jesus. Our eyes were opened and we took our first steps into a brand new life. We move from ignorance and unbelief into the grace of our Lord that was poured out for us, his great mercy. Look at verse 15, Christ Jesus, Paul says, came came to the world to save sinners. Friends, we must never take our eyes off this reality. Jesus came to save sinners, of whom he says, I am the worst for all the reasons he's already listed out for us. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So Paul's justifying, he's laying down this case for it was his ignorance and his unbelief that gave him mercy. So now what? He makes this, his his eyes got open. He's like, you know what else God is doing? I didn't deserve this great mercy, but I got it. And God wants to use my story to bless others. God wants to take where I've been and the bad choices I've made and use that to be a model and an example for the great patience of our Lord and his desire that more and more people would come to know him. Friends, the Lord didn't die on the cross and then raise to life so that you'll be forever chained by the choices you made when you lived in ignorance and unbelief, no way. But it is your story. It is your story that God can use as a testimony to help others receive eternal life. I'm gonna challenge you to do something today. It's totally up to you, but I challenge a lot of people to do this. I'm gonna challenge you before you go to bed tonight to sit down at your computer or with a piece of paper and and I want you to write your story. And some of you are like, there's not a hard drive big enough to contain it, pastor. It's okay. Start to write your story. Paul did it many times in the New Testament. He unpacked some painful parts of his life to point people to Jesus today. And I believe in my heart, one of the most healing things that you could ever do is to share your story to bring that which was in the dark into the light and let the light of Jesus shine on it for his glory. I love what Daniel shared to King Nebuchadnezzar one time. In Daniel chapter four, verse two, he said to the king, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. It's my pleasure to tell you about our God. Peter said it a little differently in the New Testament. First, Peter chapter three, verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason or give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Christians forget that last part, by the way, a lot. The gentleness and respect. prepared. When you write down your story, it will be fresh in your mind. And there are things that you will type out because you have intentionally put time and thought into it. And then God will pull that right out of you when you need it. I'm a firm believer. If you think through it ahead of time, God will use it in great ways. And when you take the time to write down your story, you pray over that story, and you say, Lord, you use my story. No matter how bad, how ugly, no matter what, how ignorant I was or whatever, Lord, I ask you, use my story to point one people to Jesus, and he will. He will. Friends, if you find yourself still struggling with your past, be encouraged today by Paul's story from God's word because he too... I'm convinced, had to wrestle this down in his life. But he came to understand, just like we must understand well, that before we knew Jesus, we acted in ignorance and unbelief. And that is why God gives us such great mercy. Because of Jesus, we have been shown great mercy. He's the game changer. Jesus came to save sinners. And you may feel like Paul, that you are the worst of sinners. It really doesn't matter how you grade your sin. Jesus came to save sinners, and every one of us in this room qualifies for that. It's time to transform those stories of ignorance and disbelief into powerful weapons of great testimony. And in doing so, I think this is what you'll find. The stings from yesterday have lost their sting for today. I'm going to end with this passage here that means a whole lot to me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you're like, geez, Joe, that's the verse you want to end with? <laughs> All that to end with verse 11. And that's what some of you were. And that's what some of you Were. Paul is writing this to Christians, this is to the church, and what this says to us is that the church was full of people who used to be deceived, who were sexually immoral, who used to be idolaters, who used to be adulterers, who used to be homosexuals, who used to be thieves, used to be greedy, used to be drunkards, and slanders, and swindlers, and that's what some of you were. Now a picture the church in the New Testament. The church was made up of people who used to be like that, who used to live in ignorance, and their life was driven without the Spirit of God in unbelief. And that's what some of you were. You're not that now. You were that. You used to be, but you're not that way now. And what's he say next? You have been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is failure fatal it Doesn't have to be Abortion isn't fatal Did you hear what I said? Abortion isn't fatal. The longer I'm in ministry, the longer I've been doing this, the more my eyes are open. And just how close to home that conversation is for us. More people than you would ever know have walked this journey We have an incredible ministry here at our church called Rise Up. And it is specifically an abortion recovery ministry. And I wanna encourage you to look that up on our app, on our website, call the church office, give me a call. I'd like to connect you with some people in our church who wanna help you free yourself from the chains of your past, and to put down the burden that the Lord already carried for you to Calvary. If you believe the words of scripture, that's why I can say abortion isn't fatal. But you may need some help. And we'd like to walk this journey with you. And we can help you because Jesus is the game changer. I could say a lot more and I feel like I should so I don't, so I'm not misunderstood, but you have children in the children's ministry and I need to be done. Friends, I'm gonna, God loves you very much and every last one of us has to wrestle through where we've been to see clearly where we're going. Jesus is the source, he's the game changer He is the reason that we have great mercy, and you may feel like you're the worst of sinners. You're not. If Paul can be saved from what he has done, there's not a one of us that can't be as well. Dear gracious God, I thank you for your holy word, and I'm so grateful, Lord, that there is not a one of us that is so far gone that we can't be the recipient of such mercy. Lord, I know Christians, and I know what we wrestle with. And now Lord, I know there's a big difference between what we know intellectually because the Bible says so versus what we experience emotionally because what we've done. But Lord, I pray over this room today that you help us to not be chained and bridled any longer to things that happened when we were in ignorance and unbelief. But Lord, you help us to wrestle through just like Paul did. And get to the point, it was because of your great mercy that I can move forward and find forgiveness in a new life. Because there's a part of our lives that that's how we used to be, but that's not how I am today. I used to be that person, that's not who I am today. And Lord, it's only because your son Jesus Christ came, died on the cross and rose from the grave that we would have any hope of that being true. And we praise you, God, for it. Our lives are forever changed because of it. Lord, may we never lose sight of that reality in our own lives and how we see the world. Lord, we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.